0: Everybody, turn if you will to your Bibles to John chapter 12. If you're using one of the blue chair Bibles, it's going to be on page 899. As you turn there, I want you to think about this, this general truth that when A conversation is at a time of transition, or for whatever reason you know it's going to be your last conversation with someone, there is extra weight to it. Okay, we see this throughout our lives. You think of times of transition, so we always try to get at graduations, you want to get a speaker who will sort of impart that last piece of wisdom to the students, You think of, for many of you, the times when your kids have moved out of the house or when your grandkids move away for whatever reason. There are these times that those conversations have an extra weight to them, an extra importance. It's a time where we think, okay, I'm running out of time. What am I going to say? And I think at those times what rises up to the top in our minds is what is most important. Okay, we don't talk about things that don't matter. At least we shouldn't. (laughs) And we at least make an attempt to say that one last piece of advice or wisdom or maybe appreciation and love. Today in our text, it marks a time of transition in the life of Jesus. The verses that we are going to look at today are the last words recorded by John of Jesus' public ministry in this gospel. So the very next verse, chapter 13, verse 1 is the night of the Last Supper. And everything from then on in the book of John is said to either Jesus' disciples or to the people that hold him on trial. So these are the very last public words of Jesus as recorded by John. And I point that out because I want us to see what Jesus chose to talk about with his last public words. We know from the various Gospels that that a large crowd would often follow Jesus. One to to see his miracles, but oftentimes he would cause controversy, which you know will often bring a crowd. And so these people that were around Jesus, these great crowds of people, what did Jesus choose to do? to say when it was his last time in the public eye. So we're going to look at John chapter 12. It's a a shorter passage, 44 through 50. Some of you are very relieved by that. But we're going to see sort of Jesus' last public words. And I'm, I'm using a verse for our big idea. I'm using the verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, because it talks about this idea of first importance, or what is important. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. So if you're following along in your outline, providing your bulletin, let's start with point number one there, the one who believes will be saved. Start in verse 44, follow along as I read. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. Now we have to understand these words in their context. The ministry of Jesus in large and in here was among religious Jews who believed in God. And so primarily, Jesus talks about himself, and we see this a lot in John's Gospels, as the promised Savior sent by God. And so if you want a relationship with that God you claim a relationship with, if you believe in that God, you will place your personal trust in Jesus. And so he says in verse 44, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And that's that idea of, if you want a relationship with God, you must place your faith in me. He is the promised Savior sent by God. And then he says in verse 45, and and I want to highlight this because I think it's very important for how we live our lives as followers of Jesus. Verse 45, and whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. It's a simple but profound truth that, again, speaking to people who claim to follow God, who claim to worship God, and we make that same claim. Well, well how does God want me to act? What, if God acts this way, shouldn't I act that way? And if that is true, then... Jesus tells that, if you want to know what God is like, look at me. This is one of the reasons there are so many stories from the life of Jesus recorded in the Gospels. This is probably one of the reasons there are four Gospels. Because part of Jesus' ministry here on earth was to show us how to live in this world. How to be a godly person. Someone who loves God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. So how should God's people act? They should act like Jesus. But in the next verses, verses 46 to 47, Jesus moves specifically to the reason that he came to earth, the primary reason that he came to earth. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Now we've seen this metaphor used in John before this idea of light and darkness, good and evil, godliness and sin and death. And Jesus says, I came into the world as light so that there's a purpose there. Whoever believes in me, whoever places their trust in me may not remain in darkness. Notice how Jesus specifically words that, remain in darkness. Why would he say it that way? I think Jesus says it that way to help us understand that the default position of every single person is in darkness. As Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 would say, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And so when Jesus comes into the world, when he comes into our fallen and broken and sinful world, he came to save that, to save us from the judgment that we deserved, from the sin that we were already in. See, part of this is how the Bible and how Christians understand people. We do not understand people to have the default position of being good. You know, how many movies or TV shows have we seen? I know there's some good in you. No, we are in darkness. And apart from Christ, we remain in that darkness. And Jesus came to bring us out of that darkness and into his marvelous light. And that's the context, and we're going we're to talk about this a little bit, where Jesus says, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Now, we'll talk about judgment in a little bit, because Jesus is not saying judgment does not happen. But what he is saying is that his primary focus in coming to earth was to save people from judgment judgment. To die on a cross, to be that sacrifice so that we could be reconciled with God. Because in one sense we were already judged because we were already lost in our sin. So in one sense Jesus didn't need to judge us. (laughs) We'd already judged ourselves. But we needed a Savior to save us. This is something that I think when we have at the center of who we are, that I am a sinner saved by the grace of Jesus. Again, these are Jesus' last words to the people. You're lost. You're in darkness. You need me to save you. But judgment is... Real And that's the other side of the coin that Jesus talks about in these verses. Let's look at verses 48 to 50. Again, if you're using the outline in your bulletin, the one who rejects will face judgment. Verse 48, The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who has sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. There is judgment. That is a real and sober truth from the Bible. Those who reject Christ, those who do not place their faith in Jesus, those who do not follow Jesus in faith and obedience, do face death. Verse 48, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. It is a sober reality, but it is a reality nonetheless. And that judgment will come, again, the end of verse 48. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Again, in the Bible understanding of time, there is a last day. It is a day where all will stand before the great white throne of judgment as Revelation tells us and will give account of their lives. We believe in a holy God who has holy standards and that sin is rebellion against those holy standards. And so we are faced with this idea of a call to believe what Jesus has said about himself, to believe in faith and lived out in obedience, but a warning that to reject Christ is to face judgment. And Jesus tells the crowd why should they believe this? Verses 49 and 50 tell us that Jesus calls them to believe this because what he is saying is true because it is the words of God himself. Look at verses 49 and 50. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Again, within the context of preaching to religious Jews, Jesus is saying, okay, you don't want to believe me? The words I'm saying are from the God you claim to worship. I say as the Father has told me. And by analogy, I can say the same thing to you this morning. If you don't want to believe me, fine. (laughs) But I'm reading from the very Word of God. And so you can disagree with me all you want, but your real problem might be with what God himself has said. And again, as we think about who we are as followers of Jesus, central to that identity is that we are sharing, not our own words, but the words of God with a world that is lost. We don't speak on our own authority. We don't say to people, you should do this because I do. Our message is bigger than us. Our message is greater than us. Our message of the promise of salvation and the warning against judgment is God's words. That He uses us as vessels. Use the analogy plenty of times. We are not the water, we are the hose. <laughs> But to live, people need water. And we are the conduit of that life-giving water of the message of salvation through Jesus. The God of the universe has chosen to use us as his messengers to share the good news of salvation through Jesus with the world that is lost in darkness, sin, and death. So as we think of this last message of Jesus, the message is very clear. First of all, that all who hear this would place their faith in Jesus and follow him in obedience as the promised Savior sent by God. And Jesus came to share the message of salvation with sinful people and to visibly show us what God is like. But if you reject Jesus and his message of salvation, you will face God's perfect and eternal judgment. So in one sense, you could say that Jesus here summarizes his ministry in one last appeal to the people. An appeal to believe what we call the gospel, the good news of Jesus and the salvation that he offers. And if you've never believed that, if you've never personally trusted in Christ as your Savior, the appeal is, is the same to you today. To repent of that sin and to place your faith in Jesus and then live a life of obedience to Him. But many of us here have made that initial step of faith. That initial trusting that put us on A lifelong journey of following Jesus. So what does this mean specifically for us? And that's why I wanted to highlight the importance that Jesus places on this, of having this be his last message, and how what was said here, the message of the gospel, the message of the good news of Jesus, is at the center and is essential to what Jesus came to do. And what does it look like for us to have the gospel at the center of our lives? To have it be essential to who we are in every facet of what we do. For our purposes this morning, I want you to think about what does it mean to have a gospel-centered life? Both individually and as a church. I want to give three main categories for this this morning. And again, from there, you need to evaluate your life. You need to evaluate your family's life. I'm just starting a conversation. But I want you to think about what does it mean to have the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, at the center of everything that I do? So number one, the first category is we accept and share the good news of salvation. The first step in the life of following Jesus is accepting this message through repentance and faith. That we must recognize its truth in our lives and to sincerely believe what Jesus is saying. But related to that is if it is actually true. If apart from Jesus we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and if it's true enough for me to believe for myself, some of you know where I'm going with this. (laughs) If I believe about myself that apart from Jesus I face the judgment of the eternal holy God, Then the flip side of that is not only should we accept it for ourselves, but we should also call others to accept it. If we actually believe that we are sinners in need of saving from God's judgment, then I would argue it is cruel not to share. Again, think about that. If Jesus is the only way to be served from, saved from eternal judgment, you either don't actually believe that, or you're okay with people facing eternal judgment. So that is the first part of having a gospel-centered life. That we not only accept it for ourselves, but we live in such a way that we take advantages of opportunity to share that message with other in all the variety and shapes and forms that that takes. This at least needs to be a part of our decision making. How will what I'm doing give me an opportunity to share the gospel? Now that doesn't always mean immediately But it has to be a part of who we are and what we do and what decisions we make. And what I worry about is that we only think about ourselves and we don't think about others and their need for Jesus. And that's connected to my my second category. The second category of a gospel-centered life is we would allow the gospel to change our relationships and how we interact with others. If the gospel, if the good news of Jesus is at the the center of my life, that will change how I relate to others. And related to point number one there of of if I really believe it, then I will want to share the gospel with others. It will cause me to to care about the eternal destiny of people that I interact with. And nothing causes me to love someone more than to think about where they will spend eternity. But it also changes how we interact with others. Because the truth of who we are is in this message. I am a sinner saved not by my own works, but by the grace of God. If I really believe that, then there is a humility and a kindness that will infect my relationships. Because I'm either a sinner saved by the grace of God dealing with someone who needs to know the grace of God, or I'm dealing with a fellow sinner saved by the grace of God. How many of our interactions would be less harsh, would be more loving, would be more gracious, would be more patience if I came to it recognizing I am a sinner saved by the grace of God and so is the other person. How I would be able to put any privilege that I have I'd be more readily able to set that aside when I recognize that at my core, I am a sinner saved by the grace of God. It levels the playing field, and when we level the playing field, we tend to be a lot nicer (laughs) and a lot kinder to each other. The gospel at the center of our lives kills the idols of selfishness and consumerism which so easily infect who we are. And when we believe the gospel and make it important it changes how we relate to a people in a way that brings glory to Jesus. So when the gospel is at the center of my life I'm more asking how do I glorify and worship Jesus through my interaction with this person? How many how many reactions would that change? That I want Jesus to be proud of how I dealt with that person. That how I interact with people, whether at work or in my neighborhood or at the store, that that is about making much of Jesus. Doesn't that give more weight to what we do? doesn't that make how we relate to others that much more important? Third category. Having the gospel as our first priority helps us to prioritize our lives in a way that pleases God. I think for a variety of reasons, one of the most difficult things but one of the most essential things to living as a Christian in our country in this day and age is how do I make priorities? We can do things so much faster. We have so many time-saving devices. But yet we have so much information coming into our brain so much ability to just do things. I mean, just the idea of, you think for how much of human history, the idea of leisure time didn't really exist. <laughs> leisure time was you just had to feed the animals in the morning and then you just let them be out in pasture. how do you make decisions? And we've talked about this for the last couple weeks. But are we asking questions of what does Jesus want me to do? What decision does Jesus want me to make? How will this decision affect my ability to serve others or to share the gospel with others? How is the way that I'm spending my money allowing me to be Jesus to my neighbor? Do, do you see when we have the gospel at the center, it is able to positively infect everything. But it has to be first. And then everything else that is important, because there are many important things. But they get their proper level of importance. And we need to make Jesus the first priority so that in all of our decisions we say, what decision does Jesus want? What brings him glory? What, way, what decision do I make? Well, Be loving to others. What decisions do I make will be about spreading the gospel and enlarging the kingdom of God? This is what happens when we make important what Jesus makes important. Jesus has shown us in this passage today what is important, what is of first importance. That he came to this world, lived among us, experienced life in all its facets. He came to show us what God is like, but ultimately all of that was done so that he would die in our place and rise again so that we could be forgiven, reconciled to God, and have the hope of eternal life. We want to live out the words of Jesus and the summary words of the Apostle Paul. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Let's pray. Father God, that every day and in every decision we make, we would keep the good news of Jesus Christ our Savior at the center of everything we do. That we would acknowledge that we are in need of a Savior and place our trust in Christ. That in every interaction we have with people and in every relationship, that the gospel would be at the center. And that in every priority and every decision, We would say, what would bring glory to God? What would be pleasing to Jesus? What would further more people hearing the good news of a Savior who loved them and died for them? God, that we would clear out the idols of our hearts and that we would keep you as first importance. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. stand with us